Hello, and welcome to The Chess Circuit, a podcast all about the wonderful game of chess. My name is Adam Ralph, and I'm your host. Morning, David. Hello, Adam. How are you? (laughs) I'm very well. Actually, it's 10 o'clock in the morning here. What time is it in Melbourne? Well, for me... For me, it's uh, who knows what time. I've just come off the European Youth Championships for the last three days of tournament play and three days of meetings before that. So I've been uh, I've been I've been working European time. So as far <laughs> as I'm concerned, it's ten a.m. as well. Yeah, you can't remember what time it is in Melbourne, can you? Oh no, it's dark outside. That's all I know. <laughs> okay, it's very kind of you to uh, to do this. Oh, it's a no, no. So happy. I'm going to ask you. Uh, a number of questions anyway. I've got written down quite a few questions, probably too many, but we'll see how we get on. And um, probably the first the first question I should ask you, let's have a look, is um, um, tell me a bit about your yourself and how you started in chess and what your background is and what you're currently doing. And then we'll get into the, uh, the nitty gritty of Tornello and Kids Unlimited. Right. Okay. So... Um... How did I get into chess? Well, I was I was born in London uh, and started travelling when I was about six days old. Um, not on my own. I had, didn't leave home then, but my, my, my dad was a consultant uh, running. He was a marine biologist and oceanographer and doing resource development projects around the world. So from the time I was six weeks old, I was, I was on the move um, and lived in about 23 different countries before ending up kind of getting stranded in Australia because uh, things kind of got just too expensive for my parents to afford to leave. So we, we ended up uh, in, first in far north Queensland. Um, and I don't know if you've got any Australian listeners, but they would know that far north Queensland, uh, what was that, 20, 30 years ago, uh, certainly didn't have very many, very many chess players. It was, pretty, it was a pretty sort of uh, rural backwater sort of place. You know, the school that I went to, uh, shoes were optional as a school uniform that was the kind of the dress code um so yeah that was that was where we we sort of ended up stranded um but then wanted to we were looking for somewhere that was a bit more like home and obviously we'd we'd always called england home uh whether that was london or cambridge or canterbury the uk was always kind of home so uh, melbourne was the closest uh kind of climate and culture and everything else so we we moved down to melbourne um when i was about 10 years old and, and shortly after, I, I took up playing chess, um, really all because I kind of friends at school. And I think that's, that's probably one of the, the, the reasons a lot of people play chess is the, you know, social, social interaction. So um, it, what really fired me up was, uh, you know, we, I guess um, my, my best mate and I at the time, we were, we were pretty entrepreneurial and we would do, uh, you know, lawn mowing rounds and, uh, you know, raffles and all sorts of other fun things to try and, make a couple of dollars and we had this brilliant idea when we were in grade six to run a chess tournament uh in the class and everyone would pay 50 cents to <laughs> enter the tournament and uh the, the prize money was for the top two and it was like 80 percent first and 20 percent for second or something because we, we we were pretty sure that we were going to be first and second so um you know good entrepreneurial journey i was uh, i was a much better chess player than him and so had uh, was 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 right on board for the ride until I lost the grand final against him and uh, and 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 you know finished second. So that 
that kind of like threw me a little bit and uh, I was like, oh, I've got to get better at this. And um, yeah, we ended up joining the local chess club um, and I guess, you know, sort of just went from there. The local chess club led to tournaments and competition play and ratings and I ended up um, winning winning the Australian Junior Championships, the Under-18 Championships in 1996. So that's my kind of chess story. Um, when I was... That is quite an achievement to win the national championships. What kind of, what kind of rating did you did you have at that time? Uh, I think my rating was only about nineteen fifty or something at the time. It was probably even lower than that when I won won the Australian Junior Championships. I was about the seventh seed or something uh, when I when I won that event. But um, yeah, so when I was when I was fifteen years old, um, that's when I sort of started getting kind of serious about chess. Um, so much so that uh, I I told my parents I wanted to. Uh, drop out of school and you know become a professional chess player um, and of course they uh, you know both well educated uh, you, know, you know both university degrees and like oh, hang on a second this probably isn't the greatest um, but I really I really <laughs> didn't didn't get along well with school so school and I just really didn't didn't sort of um, see eye to eye and in the end they were they were very supportive and uh, when I was 15 and a half I dropped out of school uh, it was halfway through, in Australia, we call it grade 10. So that was before uh, A-levels uh, in, the, in the English equivalent. Um, and yeah, I dropped, dropped out of school, uh, ostensibly to, um, to take up a professional chess playing career, was, was what I'd said, you know, which, was, which was great because I was you know, 15 and rated about 1,400 or something. So <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, my parents didn't know much about the, the chess playing world and, you know, Peter Lecco was was one of my contemporaries, for example, and he was probably about twenty seven hundred by the time I, you know, and I was I was about fourteen hundred. But um, yeah, so you know, I kind of that, that's what I said I was going to do is is kind of focus on my chess and and, and improve. And what I what I actually ended up doing was just um, uh, there'd be there was this new thing out just then, you know, at that time called the internet. And so I I just was one of the first uh, you know internet junkies and would stay up all night on bulletin boards and, uh, you know, having, uh, you know, learning how modems, uh, modems worked and uh, going on this worldwide web. And, you know, it was just, um, just sort of spent, uh, you know, misspent youth, I guess. Um, and when I wasn't, when I wasn't misspending my youth, I was, uh, I was playing chess. So yeah, kind of age sort of 15, 16 through to 18, I was, uh, I was pretty serious about it and um, yeah, got, got, uh, you know, got lucky enough to to win that Australian Junior Championships, which really kind of set me up, I guess. So you were an early adopter of um, the internet, especially with regard to chess. Anyway, yeah, I, I remember I remember playing chess on the internet uh, in text form. So th there were these you know wow. text based chess boards that would come up with dash 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 dash, and then the letter N for night. And so, you know, it was, um, yeah, you'd type in the move and the chessboard would scroll up the page and then the next chessboard would appear. Um, I think I even might have, you know, tried writing my own, you know, visual basic text-based chessboards and things like that as well. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was um, yeah, it was, it was I, I really loved my chess. Um, I was probably, you know, from a computer perspective, uh, I had, uh, you know, I had those old... Um, Novag chess computers, and and I would you know play against this this desktop 
beast of a computer that could you know get all the way up to 1800 strength uh, and and that was good fun uh, to, to play against the computer um, although actually my, my probably my, my best uh, you know old physical chessboard computer memory was in the I think it was 90, 1995 Australian Open um, and at that time you know they these computers were kind of getting strong enough to play in tournaments. They were kind of 21, 2200 mm. and sometimes could, you know, beat or draw with an IM. And, you know, it was kind of pretty exciting for, for, for us mortals to see these silicon uh, devices, you know, destroying, destroying a human at chess. We thought, oh, this is unbelievable. Um, and there was, a, there was a chess computer that had entered into the, uh, into the Australian Open. And, and I got paired against it. And, you know, th- those days you could you just play a positional style and you could you could beat the computer pretty easily. And um, uh, I, I was I was white. I played C four. I played this sort of closed bot for next style system, and you know, twenty two moves or something, easy easy victory against the against the computer. Um, two rounds later, uh, my uh, my my mate, we were we were bunking in a in a hotel together, uh, got paired against the computer as well, and so. I said, "Oh, here, have a look at this game that I played." Showed him, showed him the game, and and he sat down and just copied my moves, move for move, and the computer just replied with exactly <laughs> the same move, uh, up until about yeah. move nineteen when it varied and lost in twenty two moves. You know, it's like by then it was all over, uh, and um, yeah, I mean, it, it it irked me a little bit. I was like, "Oh my gosh," you know, I did all the hard work, and he, you know, he he only had to think for one move of the game. Um, but it irked the tournament organisers even more because they were like, oh, geez, this is round four. And now everybody who's white is just going to play David's opening against the computer. And, and it's only going <laughs> to get 50% at best. So I don't know, I don't know how they mm-hmm. did it, but they actually had to get into the programming and, and, and change the computer somehow so that it wouldn't play the same opening. <laughs> or if it did, that it would, it would vary in some way. Um, so that was, that, was, that, was, yeah, that was early days of chess computers. It's funny you should say that because I remember around the same sort of period um, at the British Championships, there would always be a stall selling uh, chess computers and they would have a challenge, which was that if you played the computer and you beat it, you'd, you'd win some money. And so, you know, this obviously attracted quite a lot of attention from um, players. And the, the one kid who would always beat the computer they had to stop him playing i think was luke mcshane because he discovered if if he played a certain line and i think it was a you know kind of almost a suicidal line the computer played really badly against it and once he, he played it he kind of invested some time in finding out the weaknesses of the computer and when he found this weakness then then he would go back time after time to play it and beat it in exactly the same way and of course yeah. things have moved on since then Oh yes, I mean, I, I wouldn't be playing against any computer for any sort of money. There'd be no chance now. No, <laughs> quite right. How did you get involved in um, teaching kids chess? Uh, so, I mean, that was that was around that time. I just left school. You know, I was uh, you know spending all my time uh, you know on the internet or or playing chess, and um, you know that that was kind of not the deal as far as my parents were concerned. So they would gently encouraged me to find something, you know, kind of do something a bit more productive with my life. I don't think those were the exact words. There was probably swearing involved. But um, in order to, to sort of appease them, um, uh, I, I set up a chess club at my brother's primary school 
Uh, we literally lived over the back fence of the of the school grounds. So um, I had this routine uh, every every Thursday, where I would I would get up early in the morning, uh, you know, like 10 a.m. or something uh, for for a 15 16 year old. That was early. Um, I would walk down to the local train station, which was uh, you know a couple of couple of kilometres walk. I take the train two stops down to the to the station to to the lo- near where the local chess club was. I was the you know one of the one of the kind of organisers of the club. I had a key to the building so I could get in, get the chess sets, bring them back onto the train, take them take them into the school, and then I would set up all these tables and chairs and put out all the chess boards and work out some pairings for kids to play against each other, and then they would they would flock in and and play a game of chess, and we'd do a little bit of a lesson, and then. I would kind of do the whole thing in reverse. I would, you know, pack away all the chess sets and put away all the tables and chairs and I would take the chess sets <laughs> back to the train station, drop them back at the chess club so that nobody knew I'd borrowed them um, and, and, and end up at home at about six o'clock in the evening. And it was a really, you know, productive work day. My, my parents were thrilled that I was up and about and doing something. Of course, it was all voluntarily. It, you know, I wasn't getting paid a cent. It was just something to do to get me out of the yeah. house. And, um, you know, Oh, probably three three months in or six months in, you know, there were just so many kids coming to this chess club that I had to do it two days a week, um, and it ended up I think it was about about forty percent of the school that was coming to one of my chess classes on a on a Thursday or Friday lunchtime, <laughs> um, and, and you know, yeah. I, I guess in in retrospect I kind of think back and I'm like, why why didn't I just keep the chess sets overnight on a Thursday? Um, but I do this whole th- same thing again every Friday morning as well. <laughs> I was like, oh. but I just, you know, I guess it was more to just get out of the house and appease the parents and and all the rest of it. Uh, and then we we were we were living in a in a, an area in Melbourne, um, and just down the road was a, a suburb called uh, Glen Waverley, and and this area had this little estate which was all named after kind of Knights of the Round Table and. Uh, so it was it was Camelot Rise Primary School, and it was on Galahad Drive, and there was Guinevere Crescent around the corner, and so it's all medieval theme, right? That was the the, the names of the the area, and so that school uh, was having a medieval fair as a, you know a fundraiser in spring. So they they must have heard somehow that I was running this chess club at uh, at at my brother's primary school, and they said, "Oh, David, you know, can come down and do something for us, like you know." bring some chess sets and, and get some kids to play games. It's, you know, it's, it fits with the theme of, of, of Camelot. So, um, so I did that. I, I went down and I played a symbol uh, against the kids there and everyone had a great time. And afterwards they said, can you just come back every week at, at lunchtime? And, and the, the kids will all do a gold coin donation. And so a gold coin, uh, there were, there were $1 coins and $2 coins had just, just been released, which was a gold coin. So, the, the kids would all pay the one or two dollars uh, to, to play chess and I'd do a lesson and, and you know that would be the lunchtime chess club. So um, you know that was that was the start of, of my coaching career. Um, you know it was was just this Camelot Rise primary school if it you know just happened to have the the name that fit in with uh, with chess. They they liked what uh, what we'd what we'd done and um, and I would show up every week um, with a with a cloth bank bag and the children would drop coins in the bag and I never really knew how much uh, how, how much was being dropped in and I would uh, and I would run the chess club and then you know another school heard about how, heard about it and another school heard about it and then 
one of the guys from my local chess club uh, was moving into state and he'd been running a junior club at, at local McDonald's uh, on after school. And he said to me, Oh, why don't you take over my, my little junior club? And again, so, you know, I just, I just collected these bags of gold. Um, and when I was, when I was 18, I, I cashed all the gold in, I bought a house and a car and um, decided to, you know, to, to keep, keep doing this. I mean, it was, it was, um, yeah, just, just, it was that successful. Well, it was just, it was just fortuitous. I think I was just, you know, right place, right time. Um, you know, it was just the start of the, you know, it was the, it was the, you know, 94, 96, you know, kind of late nineties uh, where chess was really kind of taking off, uh, especially scholastic chess and, and chess coaching. I was just incredibly passionate about it and, and just wanted to do nothing else. And, you know, the, that, that enthusiasm and I, I never felt like I was working for for a second you know I just was doing this stuff mm. that I love to do um and uh you know it was just it was just really it just it just went went off uh you know and ended up you know I, I had housemates uh when I on the first house that I bought and they would would be uh you know be assistant coaches for me and help out at some of the schools which had more more kids and it, and it just kind of grew and grew and you know completely unplanned um yeah, become a bit of a, you know, become a bit of a thing. At its height, I mean, how, how many schools were you teaching in? Um, so we we had probably six hundred schools um, with programs. We had about ten thousand kids playing in an interschool chess competitions that we ran across the country. Um, yeah, I had uh, up to a you know a hundred hundred chess coaches working for me. It was uh, it was it was no small thing, um, you know. I guess you know it became a, it went from just a hobby and, be, and became a business at some point. Um, probably hard to say exactly when, um, but you know, it's, at some point it kind of got too big to to kind of deal with. Uh, I, I do remember uh, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, there was a, a, what we call a weekend chess tournament, which is like a congress. Um, a weekender here um, in Ballarat, which was my favourite favourite um, weekender of the uh, of this of the year, and I remember I remember scoring four and a half out of seven and just being gutted that I'd played so badly. And there was a particular person that that I drew with, and you know you've you've always got that nemesis that you're like I'm never gonna never gonna lose a point to this person, and and I drew with this person. I, I, I was like oh I am just I'm just such a bad chess player. Like this is so depressing. And I, and I sort of stopped to reflect. I was, what was that? I was 21 years old. And I stopped to reflect on, well, why, why did I play so badly? You know, what, what was it? And how can I, how can I you know, improve? Um, and at that, at that event, you know, it's a weekend congress. We were there for three days. Um, I was there with 21 children, you know, 21 kids under the age of 15. Um, that we were, we were all bunked in in a scout camp. So I was doing transportation. I was cooking for them. I was supervising. There was no parents. I was doing coaching with them after their games. Uh, you know, so I had, the, I had the duty of care as well as the coaching responsibilities, and I was playing in the tournament. And it kind of struck wow. me that, well, you know, you, you probably can't spread yourself so thin. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a <laughs> lot to do is to, you know, to, to make sure that, that is multitasking. Yeah, 21 kids don't go off and, and, and you know, run on the road or you know all those other things that kids can do and so I kind of I took it a little bit more seriously from that point on and, and decided well actually I've got to do one or the other um, and 
you know, obviously playing chess I loved, but you know, I wasn't I wasn't good enough uh, to, to 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 make it. I mean, I'd started too late, and Australia is a very small, uh, you know, it's a very small pond. So, and I, you know, to be honest, I probably just wasn't wasn't talented enough to 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 make it at the at the level that the you know Lekos and Karakins and Luke McShane's and Nigel Shorts of the world were you know were performing. So, um, yes, yeah, so I decided to to you know become the best in the world at at something else, which was you know equally passionate, which was um, you know coaching and organizing and doing those sorts of things so I kind of threw myself into it uh, at that point and, and I guess that's when it became more of a business and, and less of a less of just a hobby um, I think we were the, the first chess business we were called chess kids and we were the first chess business uh, in the world as far as I know that actually franchised you know franchise was a, a, a you know it was a, it was a it was the business you know dream at that time it was like you know now nowadays I think the business dream is, uh, you know, get venture capital money from Silicon Valley and be worth a billion dollars. And, mm. you know, even, even if you don't ever, don't ever actually sell a thing, just, uh, you know, just <laughs> build, build your, build your, your venture capital value. But in the, in those days, it was venture capital wasn't really a thing, certainly in Australia and, and being franchised was the, was the, you know, the sort of ultimate. So we, we actually, we franchised the business and we set it up and, you know, we had six franchisees at one point that were running, chess programs um in in schools and competitions and all that sort of stuff for kids um so yeah it became a became a bit of a business um we ended up undoing that franchise and buying all the franchises back uh, and bringing it all in-house for um you know for commercial reasons um but also because i guess you know i started investing in more in in technology um and managing the process of the business with technology rather than Franchising, which is is a, is a great way of uh, of kind of delegating mm. responsibility to other people who are who are invested, um, but you know obviously computers can also uh, and you know and and automated processes using technology can can kind of I guess achieve the same thing. So yeah, that that was uh, that was kind of two thousand and three to two thousand and four or five or something. We we went through that process. It's funny in the UK we 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 know Ballarat because. Uh... They show the Dr. Blake mysteries on TV here. And so <laughs> I've got it pictured in my mind playing, playing chess because it's quite a beautiful town, isn't oh, it? Absolutely. It's an old gold rush, gold rush town. Um, and so, yeah, there's mm. it's quite a bit of, uh, well, okay, there's quite a bit of history when we, we, I say, we say quite a bit of history here in Australia. We mean that things are, you know, even up to our 150 years old, you know, <laughs> which, which I know for, for the UK is like, Ugh. That's like, you know, everybody's house. Yeah. Got it. It's still history. Yeah, that's right. So when did you, when did you start taking um, your chess tuition online? I remember at one point you, you, um, you were teaching in schools um, remotely using, um, the schools had iPads um, or the equivalent of, and um, you were teaching classes um, remotely. Yeah. On the internet. Yeah, so we. Or was we, that something that you experimented with? We kind of, it was probably just an experiment. Uh, so we dabbled with we've dabbled with lots of things, um, and and that yeah, we did we did have some uh, like online master classes and a training squad, and we we tried to do beginner lessons online and and sort of webinars when you know when uh, uh, maybe go to meeting was the was the was the the big thing. Um, and so we we did mm. we did try all that sort of stuff, but it never it never really caught on. It never really clicked. 
So if you ask me, when did we start teaching online? I would say, you know, March the 23rd, 2020, when <laughs> coronavirus shut the world down <laughs> and everybody all of a sudden believed that you could do things online. But prior to that, and we, we really we really didn't do very much um, or certainly nothing very successful, even though we tried. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I mean, they say failure is the foundation of success. So um, I think that, that this virus has given a lot of people a chance to do something completely different with their careers or take them in a completely different direction. How did you, how did you change the way your business was, was heading in lockdown? You know, how did you respond to the crisis? Yeah. So, um, so that chess kids business evolved about five years ago into a business. Now it's now we're called kids unlimited and, and kids unlimited. We we've got 17 different types of programs that we run. Uh, at school so not just chess programs but we've got science programs and coding and robotics and drama and uh, debating uh, cooking classes so all, all of the sort of extracurricular enrichment activities that that kids do at lunch times or after school or in clubs programs you know we, we run all of those all of those programs so we've got we've got lots and lots of uh, lots of different things going on <clears throat> and um yeah, obviously, March the 23rd was the last day. I mean, here we are, September the something or other, 21st. Um, and, um, you know, March the 23rd was, was pretty much the kids' last day of school here in Melbourne. Um, and we've been in lockdown since then. Uh, so, so the business just wasn't able, to, wasn't able to operate and hasn't been able to operate in schools for, for that whole period of time, which has been incredibly challenging um, uh, from a from a business perspective, um, we we could I guess we saw that coming early on, um, and so you know from I think the first COVID case in Australia was around kind of early February or, or, or late January. So we were we were kind of prepared. So on March the twenty third, when schools went into shutdown, we had one hundred and fifty seven classes the following week that we delivered uh, online. Um, and so we just we just transitioned immediately to digital delivery, um, you know, whether that was a science class or a drama or a, or a chess program or whatever it was, we, we just we just jumped, uh, you know, obviously not every school you know, was, was prepared to do that. And so, you know, maybe there was only mm -hmm. a, a small percentage that would that actually were, were also prepared to, to let us do that because um, a lot of schools just and, and parents and kids were just kind of shell shocked. Um, but we were we were ready and and we we jumped straight across. So um, I mean we've been and so we've been doing that now for for six months um, and and slowly building our skills and capabilities. And you know we we're now uh, you know we've we've had we've, we're just coming up to school holidays now. And we've we've had uh, you know a few thousand kids registering for our school holiday program and doing all sorts of different subjects. Um, and so it's actually you know it's actually turned into something that's kind of you know, a possibility. That's amazing. Did you did you have to create any any kind of new software to teach chess online, or did you just use what was out there already? No. So we've we've always been built been building our own software. Uh, you know, right from you know, a, a decade or more ago, when uh, yeah, when we kind of unfranchised the business and decided to invest, uh, you know, resources into um, you know business enterprise systems. And so some of the some mm. of the things that we built, uh, you know, even back then, like uh, Chess Microbase, for example, 
which is just a, a, a simple little uh, you know chess game viewer that uh, that you know stores a, stores a, a micro base. You know you can only store a thousand games in these little tiny databases, um, but it gives you some good annotation tools and some good uh, presentation tools. And so you know we still use that even though you know it was built <laughs> built a long long time ago. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and we've got an enterprise management platform that we would use to run the business for the over the, you know, over the board business. Um, and of course, Tornello, which, uh, which, which helped us to, uh, you know, to transition. So Tornello is the, is a platform on which, I mean, I, I know it as a platform on which I can organize tournaments and I can um, play, play chess, but originally was it a teaching tool? No. So Tornello started, um, born out of my frustration uh, and impatience, basically. Um, so, um, I was, I was, you saw a problem and you decided to fix it, to put it another way. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. And I, it was, I mean, it was a problem that I was feeling very acutely uh, and I couldn't understand why other people weren't feeling it. But um, I think I was running more chess tournaments than anyone else. So I, I was running two or 300 chess tournaments a year. Um, you know, wow. a lot of chess tournaments, plus plus all the classes that we, we were running at schools. And there was, you know, hundreds of schools running running chess classes as well. And so my my idea with, with a, you know, in a chess class that you do a lesson and after your lesson, the kids play games against one another. And I would always call that a tournament game. And we used to have a, you know, pairings program that you would, you would have. We had Swiss Perfect, which was the Australian uh, Swiss tournament manager. And we would have that on the computer and I would print out the pairings for the next round and you'd take it into the class and the kids would play against one another. And, and my, my big frustration was not just the sort of administration of all of that, you know, classes all over the place with different coaches and then, you know, hundreds of weekend tournaments and inter-school competitions and things where we just had to kind of collect entries, put them into the pairings program, do the pairings, then print out the results, send the results to everybody. But, but, then, but then what about ratings? You know, and ratings had always been such a big part of, uh, you know, of, of my, you know, psyche growing up as a, as a chess playing junior. It was always, oh, what's my rating? Has my rating gone up? Am I on the top improvers list? You know, all those sorts of things. So I really wanted all of the kids that were playing chess in, in, in all of the events uh, that I was organising to have an instant rating. Um, and, you know, firstly, the National Federation ratings only came out every originally it was four months and then it, it they did speed it up and it was every three months that the ratings came out um but for for a six-year-old you know three months is 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 like five percent of their lifetime life. it's, it's like you or i waiting for, for a year or two years or five years and it just by the time that the rating came out uh you know they would have they would have just given up chess probably i mean a lot of kids transition through chess very quickly so it was just it was just insane to be able to wait that long and the other thing was that we were playing you know for kids games much faster than a time control than the the national federation would let us mm. rate and so so i just i just built my own rating system and just and that was what tornello started as was just a way of processing ratings and so i built it myself as a starting point using microsoft access just as a database and when it got too big and cumbersome and, and my skills as a as being able to to string code together expired. I, I hired uh, uh, somebody from my brother, you know, friend of my brother's uh, from school, who was just a, an absolute genius, uh, you know, self-taught computer programmer. And, 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 you know, he dropped out of university and he just, you know, just couldn't, 
couldn't uh, you know couldn't sort of fit in with the system and it so he really he and I really kind of clicked because I you know sort of had the same experience dropping out of school and uh, so I gave gave him a job and said right you know this this is your job full time you know build build me a a, a pairings program uh, tournament management system and rating system and so you know together we we built that over the course of a number of years uh, into a into Tornello as a as a platform to collect registrations uh, to, to for, for over the board chess tournaments uh, to play uh, to manage the chess tournament on the day of the event and then to produce ratings and player profiles and results uh, you know automatically for the kids afterwards all online completely 100% web based um, and 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 instant so you know all of a sudden all of those kids that I had playing chess tournaments uh, you know could have a, a rating immediately. Uh, and it was, you know, it, it really solved my problem uh, of, of trying to manage that. Um, and the other thing was obviously, you know, being able to collect the registrations directly into the pairings program through a web form meant that I actually saved an entire full-time salaried person. Um, because, if, if, you know, if I if I'd had an admin person managing all of that, it, it would have literally, you know, it would have cost me, uh, you know, a full-time salary to have somebody just administering you know 200 or 300 tournaments a year so yeah it just it was it's a classic case of you know the the, the cost of building it you know it's paying off paying for itself as as it goes because um because of the volume yes it's interesting in the uk at the same time it would take you up to a year to get a rating from scratch so if you're a new player in fact if you started at the wrong time of the year it could take you um almost a year and a half and at that point you're right players have not only have they given up you know sometimes the players who are really enthusiastic that they, they've improved so much the ratings mean yeah. nothing yeah. so um it's only now that we and ironically it's only now that we've introduced um monthly ratings in the uk and of course now with lockdown we don't have any tournaments yeah. to play in well I, I think i think i uh, you know i got pretty excited about what we had this is this was I can't remember exactly when, maybe 2011 or 2012. And actually, I, I remember playing in your Gold is Green um, rapid play. Um, and you know, I, was, yeah. I was visiting family uh, in, in the UK and, and, I, and I remember playing in that and, and showing you and uh, showing Malcolm Payne and uh, Sabrina and a few other coaches, uh, you know, kind of look at what we've got and trying to talk to the Federation, to the English Chess Federation about, uh, you know, about, the possibility of having instant ratings like live ratings after every tournament and a pairings program that was mm. all on the cloud and and i was i was i was so excited by it um and and it just it just it just went nowhere um and, and yeah that was probably 2012 maybe and you know the system had been in development for three or four years so it was starting to the costs were starting to add up and yeah i was i was really excited about what it could do but nobody else was like, well, a lot of people were, I know you were, and I know that uh, a number of coaches were, and it was just that nobody in the, in the sort of uh, the, the structure of organized chess was interested. You know, they were, they were quite content with the way that things were and they couldn't see the value of, you know, instant ratings over in your case, annual ratings or in, in Australia's case, you know, quarterly ratings. Um, they couldn't see the value of, you know, have it play, having a player profile and being able to see all of their history and all of their results and statistics and graphs and, you know, kind of all the stuff that we probably take for granted now. Um, and what really kind of um, 
uh, you know, kind of uh, destroyed it for me. The, 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 the dream was um, when we got a response from some people at FIDE who said that we will never, ever use any cloud-based pairings program. Um, and I guess, you know, maybe it was just, you know, it was just 10 years, 10 years too soon because the, the cloud, yes. just, you know, people didn't have the trust in the cloud that they do now. Um, you know, and you know, I, I guess back then, if you said, oh, we're going we're gonna to store all of our data on the cloud, people would go, you're insane. How dangerous is that? On the cloud? You know, where is it? What are Whereas now, anyone who says, oh, we're going to store a server with all of our data in our, in our, in our business, at, at you know on premises, people look at you like you're absolutely mad. Like why isn't it on the cloud where it's completely safe? So you know there's, <laughs> there's been this complete shift, um, and and yeah, you know, we were just we were just a decade too early with it the first time round, um, and and we actually we ended up putting the project on hold. We just kind of put put pause, went into it went into you know it was still operational, and but we just we didn't continue development on it for uh, you know for, for about eight years. Um, but then, but then lockdown happened, and again, we had a problem to solve for ourselves, which was, oh my gosh, how are we going to play chess tournaments for for our students and kids who are playing? And so, um, I, I, I took, you know, we've got a, a development team that helps to build the enterprise platforms and uh, and things that, you know, so I've got some other uh, business interests as well. So we've we've got a kind of a standing team, and I, and I just um, said, well. You know, three people uh, plus whatever time I would spend on it. Uh, we said, well, we're going to we're going to um, extend Tornello. So instead of being just an, an online pairings program for over the board chess, we're going to build a, a game server in the background. Um, and wow. in six weeks, uh, we built a fully functioning game server and a bunch of functionality. And and one of the one of the uh, the you know the the developers in our team is. Uh, is is part of the Melbourne Chess Club, and so he was, uh, you know, looking for looking for a platform that could that could help run uh, run online tournaments as as lockdown was kind of uh, being thrust upon the whole country and in and the whole world in March, and so you know we were we were able to run a couple of practice tournaments um, where where they were our, our willing guinea pigs, um, but yeah we it was it was yeah just amazing in terms of what what we were able to turn out and. In six weeks to actually get a game server up and running and and uh, you know yeah, it was quite exciting actually um you know going from a you know a 32 player tournament going can we have 32 players you know without crashing the server and then running 128 <laughs> players and then and then you know charging yeah. an entry fee because you know would people pay an entry fee to play on play online you know that and and you know obviously we've we've kind of you know we're 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 Five or six months in now, um, and we, we understand a lot better about uh, you know what what people are looking for online. You've come a long way in six months, I must say, because I, I know that you've just finished the uh, hosting the European Chess Union Online Youth Championships, um, and I counted, I think at one point seven hundred and twenty-four players. Mind you, I also saw that you had eighty arbiters, so it shows you you know what you have to do to administrate something like that online. And you had live streaming with Chess Twenty Four, um, so I mean that is an incredible journey to come from to go from zero to that in six months. Yeah, look, that was. I mean, I, I can't take any credit for that tournament. We were we were selected by the European Chess Union as the platform on which to run the event. So obviously they had 
other choices of, of other online platforms that, that have run online tournaments before. And we were, we were thrilled that they, that they chose Tornello to run the, run the event. Um, but all of the, all of that work was them. So they, they were trying to run a, a hybrid tournament um, uh, where they had mm-hmm. kids from, uh, from all over Europe in hubs. And so they would get together in a local school or a chess club or wherever they could. And they would have a local arbiter that was supervising a small group of players Obviously, then that would that would kind of cover off on some of the fair play questions that um, uh, you know that obviously always get raised online. So they had they had all these hubs spread out all over Europe. Um, you know, some some kids obviously had to play from home depending on the COVID restrictions in in the various countries, um, and and they coordinated all of those arbiters and they coordinated the whole thing. And, and Tornello was just simply the platform uh, through which they they could administer that event and and manage it. I mean, you're being you're being modest because, I mean, they could have chosen any platform with, with a longer track record and, and they chose Tornello. I mean, that's that's an achievement. Why, why do you think they chose Tornello? Uh, look, we what yeah, was the, the unique selling point. There, there, are, there are two things that Tornello does uh, that that no other platforms can do. Um, and and I'll, I'll just I'll kind of you've got to take a step back and think about um, think about online chess or chess chess in general and and i describe it as there there are two things when it comes to chess there is um fantastic platforms like lee chess or chess.com or or chess 24 any of those there's there's you know number of them that are absolutely fantastic platforms for on-demand chess so on-demand chess is that any time of day or night anywhere in the world you can jump on and have a game of chess against somebody at your own rating ability and and it is absolutely you know fantastic and it's brilliant, right? That's on-demand chess, and I kind of equate on-demand chess a little bit to you know in, in like in music, it's like you can jump on YouTube and listen to any song anytime you want and it's completely free, and that's the kind of the world that that we that we live in with chess is you can play a game at a at a great you know at a, at your own level whatever that level might be grandmaster or or three hundred rating, and you can do it any time that you want. Um, what what is of real value to to chess players? Because um, that on demand chess is a commodity. You know, it's free. It's easily accessible. It's it's easy. You know, people don't take it very seriously. What what people really find of value is is what we call scheduled events. You know, and so the comparison in music is that you know you can go and watch that song. Uh, you know, go and go and go and listen to a listen to a song or watch a, a, a music clip. On, on YouTube for free anytime that you want, day or night, or you can go to a live concert and you might pay 200 quid or more to go and listen to, to the same songs for an hour, an hour and a half. You know, so why is it that people will pay zero for, <laughs> for something that they can listen to all day, every day, a thousand times, and yet they'll pay 200 quid for an hour to go and listen to somebody live? And and this is this is the this is the key thing with with chess is that there are scheduled events and they are high value. People take them seriously. They 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 treat them very differently. It's framed completely differently. Um, you know, it's the same reason that you know the 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 world record is broken in the hundred meter sprint only in Olympics or World Championships. Why doesn't anyone break that? You know, in a in a local club meet. You know, why do you always play better uh, in the big, you know, at, on the big moments, you know, um, and it's and it's 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 because those moments are framed differently, 
And so you have to play better. So if a, if a chess player wants to improve, if they really want to, to, you know, to play their best, it's impossible to do that in a commoditized environment. Um, you have to have a scheduled event. You have to have a national championships, a, you know, a, a city championships, a leagues match, uh, you know, world championships. Those are the, those are the events that bring out the best in people and help people improve. And so fundamentally, the difference and the reason that the European Chess Union chose Tornello as the platform is that we are built from the ground up as, a, as an event platform for scheduled events. They are arbiter led. So there's a, a you know, person of authority who's managing that. And, um, and, and there's just, there's just it's, it's probably, it's all around flexibility and control. So if you're playing on a, on a, a and which is, which is what happened in March, the whole world went into lockdown uh, in April of 2020, and everyone still wanted to play chess. So a lot of tournament organizers flooded their players to leechess or chess.com, and, and they tried to hack a, uh, an on-demand gaming platform to play scheduled tournaments. And it just, you know, it just doesn't quite work. You know, it'd be like somebody trying to run a rock concert through YouTube. It, you know, it just doesn't quite work. So you need, you need a different, a different platform. And I think that's what the, the European Chess Union was looking for when they came across Tornello, was something that would give the arbiters full control over the event in the same way that you've got control over an event in, uh, in, an, in an over-the-board environment and flexibility. So... Like as, a, as a, just a very simple example, you know, they're an extremely professional outfit. And so they start the round on time, you know, the round's meant to start at two o'clock. All right, players, start your clocks at two o'clock. But at two o'clock, there was one country, uh, maybe it was Serbia, I can't remember, um, that had no, had no electricity. They had no power. So what are you going to do? You're going to forfeit all those players because they're not there. <laughs> um, but with Tornello, you don't have to. You know, you've got full control over everything. So they say, all right, round starting at two o'clock. Everybody go off and play your games. But if you're playing against someone from Serbia, we're just going to wait. And so then you would wait. And when the Serbians came back, we give you, obviously you can't give them forever because you've got a tournament to run, but you give them 10 minutes. And I think all of the players actually ended up coming back online and playing their game and not, not losing on forfeit because they, you know, they didn't have power for a few minutes in their, in their venue. So it's just it's just simple little things like that that, uh, that make it um, that make it possible to control every aspect of the tournament. That's an interesting point that you make because one of the one of the problems with online chess is that we are at the mercy of technology. So you probably watched the uh, the recent controversy at the online Olympiad in in the semis and the finals. Mm. Um, where we just basically lost the internet and there was a disconnection and nobody could quite work out at the time whether it was the platform or whether it was the internet, God forbid. Um, so how, how can platforms eliminate or at least mitigate these kind of issues we're going to have? Look, the, the internet is a very complicated beast. <laughs> you know, you, you never know. And, you know so to, to go from, to go from a, you know, a person's computer sitting in a in a you know in a house somewhere in slovenia through all of the different networks and end up in a in a server in a in tornello in australia for example there's just there's just hundreds of connections in between you never know where it could break down so it's incredibly complicated um the the european union i think had a, a pretty good approach to it where they said um look if you disconnect um we'll give you some time to reconnect 
right? And if if you've disconnected and you, you know your clock will still tick, but if you reconnect, then uh, then you, you're you're back and you can continue on the game. So it's not like I think some platforms, if you disconnect, it's just game over. So just being able to keep the game going uh, is is a is a good mm-hmm. thing. I mean, we probably had a dozen situations, maybe more, where where a player disconnected and because they actually had local arbiters the local arbiter could verify that it was a genuine disconnection you know something something happened you know like did the power go out was there the internet dropped out whatever Mm. it might be and the local arbiter would say to the to the sector arbiter look there's a genuine problem can you pause the clocks and so the sector arbiter would pause the clock uh tornello lets you pause the clocks and it gives a, a a chat message uh so the arbiter would then chat to the player and say look the, your opponents had a disconnection, you know, are you okay to just wait for five minutes? We're not going to wait forever for them, but let's just give them a chance to come back because we want the chess game to be decided over the board, not because somebody disconnected. Um, so wherever possible, you know, we, we would try and do that. And I, I don't know, we rescued at least a dozen games um, where, where, where players were disconnected. Um, there were a lot of games that we didn't. Mind you, you know there were there was games where there was players who've got twenty seconds left or twenty five seconds left on their clock. They disconnect from the internet. By the time they talk to the arbiter, the, the flag's fallen. And so, well, you know, in that situation, it is the player's responsibility at the end of the day to have the internet connection. It is, uh, you know, when you make a move, the move has to get through to the server. Um, you know, I, I described it to the players on the day as, well, you make a move and then you reach your hand out over the board and you press the clock. But you can lose on time while your hand's going over to press the clock, even though you've made the move on the board. And that's the same thing on online chess, is you make your move on the on your screen, but the move actually has to get to the server because that's where the clock is, and you have to press the clock on the server. And it's a little bit, you know, there, there is that element of uncertainty where you just don't know how long it's going to take for the, for the message to get through to the server. And if you happen to disconnect at the wrong time, you know, you can end up losing a game, um, you know, because you were too slow to press your clock. So, I mean, there are frustrations with online chess, um, you know, because you're dealing with with tricky technology. Um, but at the end of the day, if you give the arbiter the control over the situation, um, you know, the the players have got also visibility. So, you know, both the arbiters and the players can see on Tornello everybody who's connected. You know, are, are they are they there or not there? You know, and as soon as they're disconnected, you can see. And the arbiters have got a, an overview, not just on the game, but on an overview. Like you see the pairings, and next to the next to the person's name, there's a little indicator that tells you are they connected or not. So you can actually be proactive, even. Um, and so you could see somebody disconnect. You can jump into their game and go, "What happened? Why did you disconnect?" Oh, you know, maybe maybe it was for legitimate reasons because uh, you know the game was over or something. But you, you can at least you can at least kind of. Feel like you feel like you're in control. You can see everything that's going on. I don't know if you saw Hikaru Nakamura just played um, one e4 e5 to king e2 in the uh, St Louis Rapid. Um, do you think he would have played that if it had been FIDE rated? I mean, do you think online events will ever be FIDE rated? Uh, okay, there's two questions there. Would he have played? Um, I think people are always going to take online chess less seriously than over the board chess. And it comes back to the difference between the commodity of on-demand chess and the, uh, you know, the, the value of scarcity of a scheduled event. And um, 
we can certainly build value in online tournaments by by giving them this you know like the european youth championships it's a national it's a it's a european uh you know title event there's medals you know it is a scheduled event you have to make some effort to actually be there um but it's always going to take more effort to to play an over the board chess tournament than than it will uh an online tournament and so effort equals value right so if people are prepared to put the effort in to fly halfway across the world to spend thousands of dollars on you know on hotels and accommodation and meals and uh and and you know to rent a venue and to pay for chess sets and all of those other things that go into to having a, a physical chess tournament it it has to it has to be more valuable um because it's taken more effort i like tornello because it's 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 evolved um separately from all the other online platforms so i was watching gary kasparov playing recently and he had a disaster because he made a pre-move against caruana accidentally he didn't even know he'd done it and you know people have been asking me what is what is this pre-move you know and of course they don't play online chess if lee chess or um, chess.com you're used to being able to to respond to your opponent's move before he's even made it which seems crazy but that's how online platforms have evolved and so on tornello you don't have that facility so you wouldn't have had that disaster that's why i like tornello so um i'm i'm recommending um tornello to people in the uk to um run their clubs and leagues i mean do you think is that something that you've done in australia uh yes so we've um we've 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 run we've run lots of lots of events with tornello now in australia and we ran um the equivalent of a leagues event uh, th- through which we call the Junior Oceania Online Chess League, um, and we 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 knock this event together in uh, you know literally an afternoon. Uh, it was a, a, a friend of mine in New Zealand, uh, a, a friend who's a chess coach as well in in Adelaide. And we said, what, you know, we're in lockdown. Why don't we? Why don't we get a, a you know it's an opportunity to get kids playing against other people from other cities. And so, you know, literally that afternoon, I just threw a website together and said, all right, here you go, enter, enter now. We created a tournament on Tornello and, and put a, you know, a nominal entry fee of, you know, 20 or $30 or something like that to play in the event. And um, we just put it out there and said, look, you know, join a, join a team, represent your city. It was, it was all city. So we had Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane. I think we ended up with, uh, we, we were hoping for uh, sort of, 20 cities but really expecting maybe three or four and i think we ended up with about 18 cities represented um and it just wow. we ended up with yeah there was 300 300 kids registered um in the matter of in a matter of you know a week um and you know paid an entry fee and um you know had a great had a great time playing in that event um so definitely uh yeah look that the, the we, we tried to with tonello because it evolved um Differently. You know, Lee Chess and Chess.com evolved as on-demand platforms. And so they have to stay true to their core, um, which is to provide a really great player experience, right? A really great player experience if you want to play lots of games in a short amount of time and pre-moves and everything else that comes with it, customize your chess board, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do. Tornello was born 
as, a, as an arbiter's tool. All right, so uh, our customer is the arbiter, the tournament organizer, and, and you know, we're not saying that the player's experience comes second, but you can't pre-move. You can't customize your chessboard. You know, we're investing all of our time and energy in making things easier and better for the organizer and do whatever it takes for the tournament organizer and the arbiter to get as many people as possible playing in their tournaments and having as good a time as possible. So they want to come back and play again and they want to pay an entry fee and they, they you know, they can actually, uh, you know, have a, a high value scheduled arbiter led event. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, this is it's, the platform was built from, for that. And, and, you know, has been around for 10 years running over the board tournaments. And so it's just natural for us to try to, as we're moving to the online space, you know, to, to be able to, replicate as as many of the uh, as many of the over the board experiences as possible for players um, you know and some people say oh yeah why would you why would you want to do that well the the, the, the you know it's kind of funny like the, the the more effort that people have to put into doing something like if they have to stop the clock and call the arbiter and claim a threefold repetition you know it feels more like an over the board tournament and they know that over the board tournaments take more effort and if they're prepared to do it because it take, when it takes more effort, it must be more valuable. So I don't think that anyone will pay for uh, an, you know, an online arena tournament. Or maybe, maybe they will, but you know, not, not as much. Because you can play an online arena-style tournament anytime you want, 24-7. Uh, and it's free. So why would you pay for it? You can't, you can't get a community experience where you see your friends from the club, where you play the same people, you know, Tornello uses real names. You know, this is a, this is a, this is a, a I think, you know, I'm sure you're going to ask a question about fair play. And this is, um, this is, this is a big thing. You know, we use real names so that people can build a community and you can't get a community in the same way uh, on a, on a, on a mega platform when you've got 4 million other people in your community. Um, you can, you can build a community of, you know, 15 people, 50 people, even 150 people um, and you get to know each other. And, and that's, that's, I think, a big part of why people play chess. You know, I started playing chess because I had a friend at primary school who played chess. You know, and if he had been playing, uh, you know, mahjong or or cricket, maybe I would be, you know, a, a cricket coach and a, and and organising cricket events now. <laughs> you know, it's, um, you know, there's there's a there's a lot of that. So we need to really foster that community and and not lose it to, uh, you know, to to you know, anonymous play. You spotted the, the elephant in the room, actually. The, uh, the, 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 the prospect of playing chess online is great, but if you're paying £20 a head to play in a tournament, you want, you want to know that, that the integrity of the event is, is high and people aren't cheating. And I think one of the problems with online chess is that everybody assumes that everybody else is cheating, even if they're not because they they don't have the confidence in in the platform how does tornello address that issue yeah so so online uh, and I, I don't i don't call it cheating i, I want to try and uh, so for me it's all about building a community that trusts one another right it's it's not about trying to catch every single person who's cheating and rooting them out and hanging them up and you know uh, you know Bearing the bearing their, their their innards to the world and and, and you know getting them in trouble, it, it's it's not about that. It's it's all about 
building a community of players who trust one another. And, and I guess we're coming into an environment where there's a lot of there's a lot of external factors that make it extremely difficult to build trust, right? And and there's this is just uh, it's the psychology of 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 uh, online trolls. It's the psychology of why uh, you know kids misbehave on the internet. It, there there are a number of factors that make it um, extremely difficult to do the right thing online. Um, you know, firstly, you you feel anonymous. You know, you're sitting in front of a screen, and when you're anonymous, you're not held to the same, uh, you know, psychological um, conditions as you are face to face. And I'm, I, I don't think that there's a person that is listening to this, or there's a person, you know, maybe in the world, who couldn't say that. Oh, yeah, there was that one time I did something online. I don't know why I would never have done that face to face. Like you, you, you know, you'll 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 say something that you would never say on. Or, it's just there's always there's always something because you've got this feeling of anonymity, you've got the lack of an authority figure online. So um, when you're when you're playing online, it's just you and the and the screen. Um, you know, there's no there's no community, there's no consequences of your actions. There's a whole range of you know there's there's a whole big psychology behind it. So I think you know when you when you talk about addressing fair play and and cheating. It's not about how do we catch the cheaters. It's about how do we build an environment where where cheating just isn't the natural direction. And I actually sometimes, you know, because obviously we're running hundreds of tournaments. We've got uh, you know hundreds of organisations that are running tournaments on Tornello now. So I'm I'm talking to organisers and arbiters all the time, and uh, unfortunately sometimes parents and players as well. And and sometimes I question the arbit the arbiters and the organisers and say, look, is it even fair? To, to say to somebody, oh, you cheated, I'm angry with you. Because, you know, would you, would, you, would you be angry with a four-year-old child if you put them in a room full of jelly beans and, and they ate one? You know, it's they, <laughs> they, the, the impulse control online, you're setting people up to fail. So what we really need to do is we really need to build an environment, firstly, which is, which is um, much, much less difficult to cheat. Right. So at the moment, it's really difficult not to cheat. Like you're in this environment, every, everything is if everything is saying take the easy path. You know, don't you know, don't listen to your long term you know instincts. And, and I think what you'll find is that most of the players who do cheat um, are, are are kind of uh, teenage males, um, or, or you know, young younger, you know, mid twenties perhaps up to. Um, and so you know, there it's, it's just a well known biological fact that that males in that in that kind of age category have got lower impulse control and you're putting them in an environment where it's really easy to cheat there's lots of emotional gratification when you do cheat because you win the game you know it's it's just such a hard space to be so um yeah so that's that's kind of framing the conversation around around cheating and fair play is that i always try and talk about it in the positive because what i'm trying to do is build a build a community of players who trust one another. So it's all about fair play. It's all about trying to stop people who get assistance to get an unfair advantage. Um, and, you know, the first, the first step in that is to use people's real names so that there's less anonymity. Um, the second part of that is to provide an authority figure. So you've got an arbiter and it's an arbiter-led event. Uh, the third step is for people to be playing against people who they know. 
Because if you're playing against someone who you know, you have empathy. And if you have empathy, you're a lot less likely to do the wrong thing. So we just put all these little, very, very subtle psychological cues in there. Um, and there are some things that we would love to, to work towards, you know, having the, uh, you know, whether it's a photo or eventually, uh, you know, a video screen share of your opponent on the screen. Again, it gives you empathy over that person. It's not about proctoring and watching their eyes and seeing, did they look to the side? It's about building the psychological space where the natural course of behavior, where, where the, the way that the environment is, what the environment is telling you to do is to play fair. Whereas at the moment, the online environment is telling you to cheat. And it's, 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 and I commend every single person who has played in any of your tournaments or any tournament on Tornello who has not cheated. I, I say, well done to you. Congratulations, because you've actually done something really, really difficult to play fair. And for those people who have done the wrong thing, you know, I would ask that they, that they think about what they've done and they try and have empathy for other people. And they, you know, if they want to, if they want to play against a computer or with a computer, there are plenty of places to do that. But especially Tornello, which is a platform for on-demand, arbiter-led tournaments, we're trying to build a community of people who are all doing the right thing. And when you get involved and you do the wrong thing, you know, you're, you're not just affecting that one game you know, an anonymous person username X on the, on, on a, on a, on an anonymous platform, you know, you're doing this to a real person. Um, and so, yeah, like that's, that's my, that's my take on cheating is that um, yes, the platform, we have some processes in place that, that will actually try and identify cheating, but much more important than that uh, is, is, is building an environment where it is psychologically easy to do the right thing and difficult to do the wrong thing. Uh, which is which is the opposite of what we've got at the moment. When people play in your events, um, they're on Tornello and they're also on Zoom, on a Zoom call. So does that that definitely helps, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, anything that reduces the anonymity that that builds empathy, and so seeing the other people, you, you, when you see another human being, you see their face, you you automatically have empathy. There's these built-in psychological, uh, you know. Uh, you know, their subconscious behaviours. Um, and, you know, if you're playing an anonymous username and you're an anonymous username and you can't see anybody and it's, it's just, it's very different. So whether, um, and Tornello integrates with whether it's Zoom or meet, go to meeting or, or Google Hangouts or, you know, Teams or whatever you want, any video conferencing platform, I don't think you're, you're you know, people have to use Zoom. Um, any video conference platform is fine. Uh, just just show people's faces. You know that that's a that's a good first step. Um, you know, obviously there have to be protections in place as well, uh, and so you know we we do that. So Tornello has uh, fair play analysis, um, and actually I think I think that we that we again we've got a uh, a more suitable a more suitable response than what a what a what a Lee Chester or chess.com has to cheating. So when you're, when you're playing on demand games and thousands of them, you know, the, those th platforms are absolutely right just to terminate accounts with kind of no human intervention. You know, they've got great algorithms and they just switch people off. Fair enough. Um, you know, we're all about arbiter led events. So what we do is we actually provide the arbiter with a report, which they can see round by round of, of people who are, you know, and, and their statistics and, you know, ranked in order of, uh, most likely to have had assistance to least likely. And that provides the arbiter with an, an opportunity 
to actually confront people and you know because again it's it's not about punishing the people who do the wrong thing that's not what laws are about it's about building society of people who do the right thing and so if you can intervene early and after two games say hey look you know adam i I noticed that you're playing at about 2700 strength at the moment in your first two games (laughs) unlikely um so you know can you tell me what have you done in the last couple of days to you know to 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 increase your rating by you know 700 points um or you know just have those private conversations and 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 sort of talk to the players and say look you know you're you're doing the wrong thing i'd like to see your your statistics improve um and and i you know i i kind of laugh when you know i confronted somebody uh and and had that difficult conversation with with a player uh last week and he said oh look i've got i've got school exams and stuff coming up now so i'm going to take a, a few few weeks off uh and when i come back i'm probably going to be rusty so my stats are going to be down but you know that doesn't mean i was cheating now and and, and I'm, I'm totally okay with that. You know, I think that's, that's a win. You know, we don't have to get an admission or punish. We, we just have to make sure that next time it's better. Um, and and there's, we've, got a, we've got a blog on Tornello and anyone who's interested, um, read, read my blog post about, about, the, about, you know, why we need human intervention in cheating. And there's a fantastic... We'll put the link in the show notes, yeah, definitely. There's a, there's a fantastic link to... Um, it's a visualization of game theory and there's game game theory have, have got this long-standing uh, question of, of trust. And it's about how does trust evolve in a community? And it's a brilliant visualization, uh, you know, hats off to the, to the person who's, uh, who's built that because it's just amazing. Um, and it, and it just shows in a visual way from a psychological point of view, how do you build a community of trust? And it is, it's absolutely clear that, you build trust by being trusting and by forgiving easily, right? And, and, and I would just, if you've got other arbiters or organisers listening to this, I would say beyond anything else, you know, if you want to end up with a community of people who are all playing fairly, you have to forgive easily and you have to trust people. If you want to end up with a community where everybody's cheating and everybody's suspicious and everybody is, you know, they've got these negative vibes the whole way through for every single game, then, then, you know, the way to achieve that is to, you know, vilify people, to publicly, you know, shame them, to, to ban people, uh, you know, to have harsh punishments, to have, you know, no due process. It's, you know, it might take... It's a downward spiral. Yeah, it is. It's either an upward spiral or a downward spiral, um, and it, it take it can take time. And so, you know, organisers might have to accept that. You know, there will be one or two instances where where somebody, you know, does cheat, um, but it's better to allow one or two to kind of go through to the keeper, uh, and and have those private conversations with people and say, look, you know, just next time do better, and and then uh, and then and then it. It will it will end up in a really good space, and I have absolute confidence that it will end up in that good space. I agree. Actually, anecdotally, since since lockdown, um, I've been running a lot of tournaments online, and in in the beginning, it took me maybe a week to get a report back saying whether or not somebody may have used computer assistance. And now, with your with your software, I can I can do it literally as the games are being played, and what I've discovered is that the perception of cheating is far greater than the 
actuality. Mm. So, you know, people will complain about an opponent and I'll, I'll be able to reassure them almost immediately that I've, I've checked their games with the computer and, you know, there's no evidence of cheating, but the perception is greater than the reality. And I agree with you. That's the thing you have to overcome is, is, is making people feel that they're in a safe space when they're playing in a tournament. And I think you've achieved that with, with a combination of what you're doing with Tornello and um, something like Zoom or Jitsi, because um, you know, now you feel like you're playing in a real tournament. It, you, it's the closest, I think, I've even had this kind of feedback from the players. It's the closest that they have come to playing in a real tournament since lockdown. Yeah. It's certainly the best online experience they've had. And, you know, that, that's amazing. That's to be commended. Yes. Well, thank you. And it's, it, it, you know, for, for me and for Tornello, what we want to do is we want to make those tournament arbiters the champions. You know, it's not about building the platform, you know, and, and you know, if you're lead chess or chess.com, that's their business. That's their whole reason for, for, for existing is to build their platform and their name and their entity and their brand. Um, Tornello is, you know, we're a tool. You know, we are, we are in the background, you know, like Gmail, like Zoom, you know, you know, we, we, we're not, um, you know, we're not the, we're not the brand. Um, so all of the players who play in, in tournaments on Tornello, and I know your tournaments, you know, you've got the Chess England logo there. You know, it's, it's there for you because you are the champion and you're the one who's running these tournaments and you're the one that needs to be celebrated. Um, you know, we, we make sure that, that you can build your community by collecting people's email addresses and, and, you know, building your own database, because we know that, you know, you run a great tournament and more people are going to want to come and play in your tournament. So, you know, Tornello's, Tornello's success measure is not how many subscribers we've got because players are free. Uh, Tornello's success measure is how many tournaments are run where the players are coming back and the arbiters and the organizers of those tournaments are really successful. And, and that's, I think that's a fundamental difference. And that's why, uh, you know, that's why we do it is we, we really want to celebrate those tournament organizers and celebrate the arbiters. So, you know, the European Union, uh, you know, youth championships, that European youth championships is an ECU event. It's not a Tornello event. It used Tornello as a platform and it used Zoom as the, the, as the video conferencing tool. But we're just tools for their community. And, and when you run your Golders Green or your, your Blitz tournaments, uh, you know, you're the community that you're building. And we're just a, we're just a tool to help you. David, you're a star. Thanks for the work that you do. And I'm sure we'll talk again. Sure. Good luck sure, with sure. Uh, your future endeavours. Thank you. Well, uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll, I mean, this, this last ECU tournament was a big milestone, you know, 750 people playing online all <laughs> at the same time and, you know, dealing with that. We just, we just hope. What's next? I know you, um, you host a lot of tournaments. I just saw a, a huge Indian inter-school event on your platform. What's the largest event you've ever hosted? So, um, you know, we've been slowly, gradually, gradually creeping up in terms of, you know, making sure that our server can cope with stuff. So, I mean, the, the European Union, that ECU, uh, the youth championships last weekend was the, the, the greatest number of people. We had 750 players online playing all at the same time in one event. Uh, and we had other events mm -hmm. running at the same time in, in, other, in other organizers, but that was the biggest single event was 750 players. Um, at the same time, the the Indian event we've got uh, 
about 1,150 players, um, but they're not all playing. They're staggered, which is nice. There'll only be four or 500 players at a, at a, at a maximum. Um, but we really, you know, we really think we can, we can hold, uh, you know, 2,000, 4,000, 8,000, 10,000. We don't know. Um, uh, you know, we've, we've done load testing that shows we can have 2,000 people in one tournament without a problem, but we'd like to test that in the real world. So, yeah, stay tuned. We will, we will have a um, try and break Tornello chess tournament one day where we say, look, we just want as many people as possible. We want to, we want to test the system and we're going to tell people up front, like you're here to try and, to try and break it. And so if, if we crash the server, um, <laughs> hopefully no one will be too disappointed because that's the name <laughs> of the game. So I'll, yeah. I'll let you know when we do that, we can have a uh, let's break Tornello um, party and see, see how many people we can get online playing chess at the same time. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Count me in. All right. Thanks a lot, Adam. Um, love to chat again. In Cheers, class. David. See ya. If you're a premium subscriber to my newsletter, imaginatively titled The Chess Circuit, you can suggest guests and topics for future episodes and enjoy many more yet-to-be-conceived perks. You can find the link to my newsletter in the show notes. Thanks for listening.